one day uh, I saw a piece of artwork that hit me like a brick to the face and it changed everything that I thought about everything. Welcome to Step Into the Sandbox, a conversational journey through the minds of creatives. Step into the worlds they create as we unpack the roots and elements of their creative process. I'm your host, David Verhano, and this is episode five of the podcast. Today's guest is Peter Santamaria, a talented printmaking artist better known as Attack Peter. He's been commissioned to work with brands like Marvel and collaborated with world-renowned comic book artists, and he's even inspired some of the branding work that I've done myself. So it was really exciting to dive into Peter's process and his path, albeit remotely from quarantine, of course, and uh, we got to learn a little bit about his latest career move and how he got there. So I hope you enjoy it. I'm Peter Santamaria, and uh, I run the company Attack Peter. Um, I'm a printmaker, which means I uh, create artwork by carving materials, rolling ink on them and stamping them onto paper and an illustrator and designer as well. Is there something that is, you know, one thing that you think the world should know about you that they don't already know outside of, you know, what we can find online or, or the basic. Bio? Oh, my name What's is something? not. Atta- yeah. My name is not attack Peter. That's a big one. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) but I can uh, imagine plenty of people. I mean, the funny thing about me is that, like, for anybody who knows me, uh, I'm a pretty open book, maybe to a fault, you know. Um, I try to uh, be very honest about everything I've experienced and endured, and and um, I try to be very generous with any experience that I have. And um, really, my goal is to get to be as successful as possible so that I can live comfortably doing what I want to do. But in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking about being able to help the next guy up or next girl up, you know, and, and I know that the only way to do that is to be very, very, very successful. And so I always have that motivation that success is or not being sick not trying my hardest to be successful for me is selfish and immoral for me because of what i want to do i get you it's kind of goes to the concept of filling your cup till it overflows so that you can serve others yes that's a big thing for me and uh the art community is really unique i mean the art community it's so varied and vast but since I've started working uh, publicly as an artist, so like in 2012, I had my first solo exhibition uh, in Miami. And uh, since I've started doing that, I've started to learn that when you're coming up, there's almost like it's an expectation that you not be too um, assertive or ambitious because it's like a faux pas it's like taboo and i've noticed that a lot in the gallery scene in miami for sure and to some degree but a lot less in the world that i'm in right now with pop culture and um that whole comic con culture and toys and design all that kind of stuff it's a lot more commercial now that i'm in a commercial industry but um it it was 
so in a way it's funny it's 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 less of a problem when it's a commercial industry when people are trying to be successful but in the art for art's sake community which is not really a real community art for art's sake is is what i hear a lot of people say who can't figure out how to take the next step or sometimes i feel like it's a sense of virtue signaling like you're super successful mm-hmm. and you're crushing it every year but i don't think arts for art's sake is is very is is a is a virtuous goal because then you're basically saying here's some skill that i've developed and i worked my ass off to get and i've worked, figured out a way how to monetize and grow because of it and that's good enough for me that's good enough for me i don't have to do any more or less because i'm set that's what art for art's sake sometimes sounds like to me so i've noticed that coming up um i have to be very careful with my ambition and so i've always tried to be as forthright as possible so that people always know my motivation but i am i'm a bulldozer like i always want to go as soon as we succeed in one area um, i've already been thinking about the next thing totally i feel like this is any success in a creative field is so is so rare and it's such a blessing and it's fleeting like at any point it could just end um because it relies on the taste of hundreds and thousands of people um so i feel like i'm always thinking about how to sustain 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 I think we may have gone off the question you asked. For- <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it was about really introducing yourself and kind of getting a background. Yeah. And, but this is good because, you, you know, you dive into your philosophy and kind of like yeah. the why behind it all. So it makes yeah. total sense to go into that. I'm um, very interested in, in that. I'm very, my, my, my philosophy is always to grind and fill the cup till it overflows. Like you said, I couldn't have said it better myself. Awesome. Um, so, you know, obviously you're based here in Miami. Uh, what's the path that got you here? Was it uh, you immigrated when you were younger? You had a family that was ready here. Uh, I was actually, was uh, yeah, I was born in Virginia, and um, but my family is all Cuban, and we, they came over in the fifties, um, mid mid late fifties. Well, my mom would have come over in the sixties because she was born in fifty seven. But yeah, they came back in that generation as children. And they, my mom's side moved to Virginia and lived near DC. And my dad's side moved to Ohio and uh, lived in there. And then they eventually met in DC. I was born there. And, but I've been in Miami since I was two years old. So I don't even remember living in DC all that much. And I, I feel like I'm as Miami as the next guy, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah, definitely been here for a while. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so what, what was your, upbringing in Miami like uh you know what were some of the schools that you attended and, and kind of like started being the the early influences of of your career in this industry um well funny enough i i didn't really focus on art at all uh from kindergarten to high through high school i mean i loved drawing always but it wasn't uh where i was putting all my energy as, as far back as i can remember I love drawing. I love making monsters and stuff like that. But the first time I put all my effort into something was music. And um, so I was always focused on music. But when I got to college, um, I was always like 
I was always hesitant to be a degree seeking student in the area of my interest, which was either art or music. Cause I was, you know, scared away from doing that my whole life. Um, you know, the idea was that if you seek a, a career in art and music, you know, you better have a backup plan. And so in other words, you should be doing art and music for fun and study something that's going to make you a lot of money, which I'm sure I, I think it's a lot, a lot of us get told the same thing, especially if you have, uh, I mean, I hear it a lot in, in the communities here in Miami as a, as a teaching for 12 years, a lot of parents tell their kids that. And so I, I, I didn't seek, um, education in that regard until actually a very close friend of mine, um, his cousin that we grew up with was hit by a drunk driver and um, became a quadriplegic um, from one day to the next. And we were, I was, you know, halfway through college, you know, studying business, hating my life. And I heard that and I'm like, oh my God, this guy, a great looking kid from a great family, all the opportunity in the world, brilliant. And uh, someone else took it from him. It's not like he made yeah. a bad decision, you know? And I, and at that moment I decided, I don't care what happens. I'm spending every second of the rest of my life doing exactly what I want to do come hell or high water. And I literally from one day to the next, I, I changed my major and uh, at FIU I studied, uh, I got my uh, BFA bachelor's in fine arts in their art program, which was a very conceptual program um, as far as visual art is concerned. And back then I didn't know, anything about the differences between representational and conceptual art. And so I, I got into the program and I was totally freaked out by the fact that we weren't really spending time learning how to draw better, learning how to paint better. None of that. It was really whatever you can do already, use that to visually represent ideas. That was the thrust of the course. And it bummed me out tremendously because I just wanted to get good skill wise and, I would say it was really um, for most of the professors at the time, that was like a self-indulgent taboo to want to draw and paint as realistically as possible and all that. So it, it was crazy. It was like, no matter where I went, I was getting told no. Uh, <laughs> and I feel like that was a, <laughs> a common theme my whole life, which is probably why I'm so hard-headed and, and um, persistent now because it's like PTSD that stays with me forever. <laughs> um, and when I, when I, I mean, even to the fact when I, when I graduated my, my final body of work, I was, I was studying stop. I was studying, I was teaching myself stop motion animation, um, building armatures and puppets and all in little sets and all that. And I would film these really short clips that would take forever to make. Um, and at the end of it, I would realize that the still frames of the films were what I really loved. So I was blowing up these giant still frames into big, you know, 30 by 40 prints. And I thought they were really awesome because the, I put a lot of effort into the sculpture and to the set building, everything really small. And I took these really cool photos of them back then. And man, did I get shit on left and right. <laughs> like to the point where some professors were protesting my graduation. It was so bizarre and laughable. Wow. Um, but really, uh, you know, I went back and got my master's degree. And in my master's program, luckily, I was taught by an incredible professor 
who was uh, uh, named David Chang, and he really is one of the best professors I've ever had because the guy is a master. And I was ready to be a good student at that point. Like, you know, I, I was ready to get, you know, knocked down, torn around. And, 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 I, and I made it my mission to come out of there with every bit of skill I could. And, and that was huge for me to the point where when I became a teacher, that's all I was thinking about until we started teaching the kids printmaking. And that's really like I had studied printmaking like for a second here and there in college and high school, but it was really when I started teaching it to the kids and I realized this is hands down everybody's favorite lesson every year, no matter what, no matter who the kid is. And it made me want to get better at it, learn more about it so that I could teach it more effectively. And, and then um, when I was teaching at South Dade, my uh, South Dade Senior High School, I met my buddy, Brian Reedy, who is a printmaking uh, expert, and he studied it, and he had been doing it for 10 years longer. He's you know, a little older than me. And we re- I really started seeing how much fun it was and how much it requires you to think as a designer more than anything else. You really have to plan your um your your contrast your patterning all you can't just take any image and make it into a block print it doesn't look like it doesn't look right you have to respect the medium and so doing that you know we just we were doing that for fun for a while we made some zines and then we started doing our first convention in 2012 i think in miami and 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 it was just a snowball from there. All the conventions we would do it was a different medium and people really were attracted to it. And, and uh, yeah, it's been like eight years of that. And that that's awesome. where my background is. Yeah. Cool. And so you, you mentioned David Chang as one of the key influences as part yeah. of that journey. Yeah. And I would maybe Brian Reedy as like a collaborative partner Were were there other influences that you, you yeah. kind of encountered where there were teachers or they didn't even have to be people. It could be, you know, well, I mean like the artist that made me want to drop music. Cause I was really like, you know, in my at 19 years old, I had a record deal with Roadrunner records, you know, and, oh, right, uh, cool. Yeah, and we were like signed and rec- recording music in the Hit Factory in Miami, like professionally. We were getting paid at nineteen. I was getting paid to to be in a band, so like that was a passion for me. And the one day, uh, I saw a piece of artwork that hit me like a brick to the face, and it changed everything that I thought about everything. And it was a drawing of Hellboy by Mike Mignola that um, was on a T-shirt in a comic book store called the Coliseum of Comics in Orlando at a mall. And it, it just, it changed everything. This one drawing I saw, and I'm like, what is that? Because if you're not familiar with his work, it's so stylized and sculptural and geometric, and it just broke everything. Like, I can still remember seeing that, that shirt on the rack, and it was just like an epiphany. And it was... That 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 moment, everything just changed. I remember this is before Amazon was great. So I remember going all throughout Florida trying to get any issue of a comic that he ever drew because his work wasn't collected anywhere back then. And I just that was my education. I, I started reading every interview I could from Mike Mignola's. Um, I started drawing every drawing that he'd ever done in my sketchbooks, trying to learn what he was doing. 
as if it was that simple. And um, it, it was a fuel that hasn't stopped burning. That artwork just electrifies me. Um, and so that was probably one of the biggest influences I had even before those two that, that you named. Essentially, like after that, I started studying, you know, all his drawings that I could find from every issue of every comic he had ever uh, produced. I found a checklist at the back of a magazine that uh, had done an interview with him. And um, and I, I started hunting those issues down. And each time I would find one, it was like an extra uh, lesson into how he worked and how his style developed and all this. And comics always have been an influence and in, in, in films about, you know, monsters and monster design. Always, the biggest influences for me were always the special uh, features on a DVD when you got to see um, the behind the scenes of how they make uh, some of the prosthetics and the monsters and stuff like that. But essentially work that dealt with beautification of monsters was always a biggest influence on me. Um, so Guillermo del Toro, um, you know, all his films, even before the ones that are, are more well known now, uh, like Kronos and devil's backbones were huge for me. Um, and, and then just all the, the, the monster movies that I loved so much growing up. So everything, you know, Godzilla related and, and I just love that stuff. And I remember feeling like it was, um, treated a lot like kid stuff before online communities existed. People have to understand that if you were into something, um, unusual like that, you were probably going to be into it on your own because, you know, there was not, it was not like a common thing to be 22 years old while all your buddies want to go drink and party and you just want to like draw comics and watch Godzilla movies, you know? So those are the things. That yeah, really I totally get you. I was saying before, one of the biggest educations I got would be the special feature sections of the DVDs I would collect. So I would buy a DVD and I was most excited if they had like a behind the scenes featurette on how they made the creatures and monsters and the Guillermo del Toro films were always excellent uh, for that. Oh yeah, that's cool. That's a nice little uh, nugget for sure. I, I remember that a lot of those, you would get like a second disc or, or some, some of them had it already embedded in the same disc for the BTS yeah. stuff. So Let's go back to your your actual craft of of block printing. Um, for someone that's not familiar with the process, you know, what's the easiest way to explain it to them? And, and could you kind of take them through uh, a basic process? Obviously, you can go more in depth with some of the tools and, and videos you've created, but kind of at an overview, what would you say uh, is the process like? Yeah. So um, essentially, so so. What I'm most known for um, is uh, this this technique called printmaking, and that's like an umbrella term that encompasses a lot of different styles. Um, so I do specifically, mostly linoleum block printmaking. So I carve um, a piece of linoleum, which is like a leathery uh, material. And I carve out an image in the reverse of what I would like it to look like in the end because it prints a mirror of itself. Um, 
I, I carve out the entire image that I draw and uh, I roll ink on the carving. And I take a sheet of paper, uh, usually a piece of paper called Lokta, L-O-K-T-A. It's a piece of paper that I get, uh, it's the type of paper I import from um, uh, vendors who, who get it from Nepal. And, uh, and so I, I press that paper onto the inked carving, and that's how I get the, the print itself. So each time you see one of my prints somewhere it was made by hand i don't have anything uh digitally uh or or uh reproduced in a, in a computer those are the majority of the work that's the majority of the work that i make i do also do a lot of designs digitally um especially if it's going to be something that's for t-shirts or um you know other apparel that's not just a, a piece of art to hang on the wall and uh, most recently um, I've been working a lot on translating the look and my designs into 3D, you know, partnering up with some other companies like um, recently partnered up with uh, DC Direct, uh, DC Comics is, and their merchandising line. And, and they produced a, a Batman statue based on one of my uh, Batman illustrations. And that's really exciting because for me, you know, the prints themselves are just one facet of what I want to do. You know, it, it, they were great for me and they are great for me because no one really does it. Uh, it's pushed my style in a certain direction um, that I don't think I would have arrived at otherwise. You there? Yeah. Okay. And, um, and um, they also allowed me to be the means of production on my own. So I, I create the design, I carve it myself, and I print it myself, and I don't need anybody else involved. So that's been great for me as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like a really fun process. And obviously, the, the finished product you've been able to hone in on over the years. So you obviously have been able to come up with some really dope uh, pieces um, and, and I think what, what's interesting is the process of once you get the muse or the subject that you want to actually create, um, wh- what is that like when you're going to, as you say, adapt it to the linoleum block um, because you have to respect the medium? What, you know, what, what do you do or what do you look for in being able to adapt something that you're looking at and then making the version that you're going to create on the block print? Well, um... So I, before, when I was working independently, I was always um, trying to work on whatever I was hyped up about at the moment. So if that meant that I wanted to do, you know, three Star Wars monsters in a row, and that's what I was going to do. If it meant that I wanted to do a bunch of original designs uh, of animals, that's what I was going to do. But um, so that was the first thing. I would always try to follow wherever my hype was. Um, and the goal was to get as, you know, like to get as much reference material as I can of the original source. And then what I do is I try to pass everything through a filter that I've kind of, uh, derived over the years, which is, um, I look at a lot of, um, old artwork from ancient artwork from Thailand, um, Bali, you know, uh, like, um, a lot of the artwork and design and sculpture that you would see in the Grand Palace in Bangkok. I look at a lot of that stuff. And I also look at a lot of um, 
uh, American traditional tattoo uh, designs. So all the old stuff from the Sailor Jerry, Sailor Vern, you know, to the guys who are doing it now in a, you know, adapting those old pieces in different ways. I look at that stuff because it's very, uh, very heavy. Uh, the, the, the work from Thailand and Bali, they're very heavy on patterning and expression in the faces of, of what they design. And the tattoo designs I like to look at because they're very bold and they have lots of heavy areas of solid black. And uh, they also use patterning and simple shapes that are very, very effective without being overly detailed. And I find that that kind of stuff works really well when you're um, translating something into printmaking. I mean, um, so, you know, that it's kind of like a, like a, a filter that I push everything through. And so I spend a lot of time um, sketching. Uh, well, I don't spend a lot of time sketching. That's not true. But I spend a lot of time brainstorming um, how I'm going to make this feel like it's an Attack Peter piece. And then and what that tends to be is, a, is an amalgamation of those things. Then I also, you know, look at a lot of the artwork of Jack Kirby, who's, um, you know, the legendary artist from Marvel and DC who, you know, designed everything that we love now. Um, he was an artist who I began, began to really love after, you know, doing my Mike Mignola research when I realized that was one of his big influences and I dove deep into that. So I look at Jack Kirby for dynamic poses and, um, uh, compositions and things like that. So, you know, essentially that's what it is. I take a subject, whatever it is, and I try to pass it through those three filters and see what comes out of it. And I think besides the fact that the medium is not very common, um, that the combination of those elements is also pretty uncommon, you know, so that that's why I think it kind of stands on its own. Awesome. Um, so what's it been like working with, with brands in the comic book space? Um, you know, obviously it's something that over the years it became a dream to work with, uh, you know, some of these brands like Marvel, uh, what, what's it been like to, to work on projects that are, you know, kind of things that you saw as a childhood dream? Well, yeah, um, that it's kind of crazy. And, and to this day, I still tell my wife that like, it feels like um, a simulation because everything that we do that we're that we've been that we've been lucky enough to to work on is really the stuff that I would dream about doing as a kid. Everything you know, and um, up until recently, I was just trying to get the attention of the people I wanted to work with, the professionals I wanted to work uh, with. And uh, the IP that I was that I wanted to work on, and so when I finally got the opportunity to do it, it was crazy, and it blew, it blew my mind. But but on another level, you know, it it, it was a, a, a breeze because everybody has been so open to letting me do whatever it is that I do. I haven't had any situations. Why, uh, where someone's like, ah, can you not do it like that, you know, at all? So, yeah, I don't know if I'm in a rare situation. I feel very fortunate, very blessed, but every step of the way, 
people have kind of like come up to me or come to me, I should say, and said, whatever it is that you do, we want you to do that with our IP. And that has been so, I mean, on one, on one hand, it's harrowing because you're like, oh, geez, you're not going to tell me anything you want. And on the other hand, you know, it's very liberating because I'm like, whenever I get stuck or frustrated, I'm like, well, remember that they came to you because of everything that you've done so far. So just keep doing what you always do and they're going to be into it. And that's what it's been like. Um, yeah. And, and for, and you know, in such a short amount of time, really, it was in late 2018 when I took my first trip outside of Florida to do a convention. And that's when I started, it was a designer con in Anaheim, which is a great show. And it was then where I got to meet so many representatives from all these companies who had the licensing rights. And, and, uh, and um, so it's only been a short amount of time since I've been doing it. And in that short amount of time, in like a little more than a year, I've gotten to work with a bunch of companies, but specifically Marvel, DC, and just recently we got to announce the partnership with Toho, uh, you know, the company that owns Godzilla and produced the Godzilla films forever. And uh, I mean, if I die tomorrow, knock on wood, in this time day and day and age, you don't want to say that. If I would die tomorrow, <laughs> I feel like I, I I hit three of the biggest, you know, things I could ever want to work on. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously it must be even more exciting now that uh, you just joined Skybound. Um, for those of us that don't know, I obviously did a little bit of research, but uh, it's a multi platform entertainment company, uh, which is co founded by Robert Kirkman, uh, the mastermind behind The Walking Dead and many other titles. And they, they have, what, 30 different comic book titles underneath their belt. Uh, what's it like joining that team and, and being a part of that? uh that group now well you know it's crazy that's it's to sum it up it's a dream it's the big it's the best dream come true possible because it's a company that i've read their books forever you know i you know i remember picking up specifically a comic called invincible which was written by uh, robert kirkman as well it's the best superhero book i've ever read and it's not close and um i remember picking that up when i used to work at a comic book shop called uh, outland station uh that's no longer around but um you know i've always respected that um the company because of the public persona that robert kirkman puts out which is you know he's very he's a very straightforward guy he's very fun loving he recognizes that we're all very fortunate to be able to you know play around like this and get paid for it and the ethos of the creator being at the center of the business that was a part of image comics where he got to start before he set up skybound is still the ethos now. So, um, if, if I describe the company to anybody, it seems fake because it's too perfect. It's essentially like they take a creator in any medium and they bring them in and they say, look, these are all the, the the um, branches of our business. You know, they work, of course, in comics, like you said. They 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 work in video games, right? They publish video games. They yep. work in. Uh, they have a, a partnership in animation, in TV, in film, 
they uh you know they have product development i mean they they're like a full full entertainment company now it's almost like you don't even say skybound comics anymore because it's just like such a small not a small part but it's just one part of what they do so when i was uh approached by them it was actually at a time where i had decided that i didn't want to do so much licensed work I had decided at the end of 2019 that I was going to try to take and not take as much licensed work um, in 2020 because I wanted to start attack Peter as a brand of original content. Okay. And so because I was a teacher up until a few months ago, I knew that, or really up until February, I knew that I had to be very careful with what jobs I took because my time was so limited. And it just so happened that I met the CEO of Skybound, a gentleman named uh, Dave Alpert, and at Comic-Con San Diego. I was lucky enough to be uh, uh, sponsored at Comic-Con last year by a nonprofit company called the Kevin Workman Foundation. They're fantastic. Um, so... I, I met him quickly in passing. He walked by my booth, gave me his card. And and then months later, I got an email asking if I'd be interested in doing a um, a print for one of their licenses that they haven't announced yet, that they're involved in. And okay. it was an amazing opportunity. And I said, uh, thank you, but I, I, I don't know if I can do that. At first, I was like, I honestly would rather do something for Invincible. If you're going to ask me, I want to do that. But um, I truly, I said, I, I, I said, I don't, I don't think this is the right fit for me right now, you know? And um, I, I kind of shit my pants when I did it because this company is so fucking great. And I usually will take something, even if I don't think I'm the right fit, just and, and make myself into the right fit. But I was very scared that I would be very limited on time. You know, and okay. so I kind of like was unsure, and and then they the the CEO sent three of uh, uh, their team members out to DesignerCon in Anaheim this past November to meet and talk with me, and by the end of it, I got the impression that they wanted to just work on something original. I'm like, oh, that's so cool, you know, that's exactly what I wanted to do. But when I got the call, you know, after a, about a month or so, I got the call that says they just wanted to, to partner with attack Peter full time. And they wanted me to be able, they wanted to, to make it so that I didn't have to be a teacher and an artist. And so they were just going to bring me on board full time. It, I couldn't believe it. And especially when they said, we just want you to be you under our banner. And I'm like, Holy shit. Right. That's cool. It's a dream scenario. So it's essentially, what I got to do is I got to, you know, go out to California and LA and meet the whole team. They're so amazing. Everybody across the entire team is so grateful and, and generous and, and really make you feel like a rock star the whole time. And we met, we spoke about what I want to do, what I was going to do before joining up with them. And, and essentially now we're in the process of developing what attack Peter is going to look like going forward beyond just Prince. And, uh, it's super exciting. It's a dream come true every day. I wake up and I just can't believe it. 
you know? And, um, and especially at a time like this where work is so uncertain and people are kind of slowing down, they've, they've just been my biggest cheerleaders and, 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 and I don't, and I just can't believe it to, to be honest with you. I'm talking to you about it right now. And I, and I, in my head, I'm like, I can't believe it's a real thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's awesome. I think that what's very interesting is the synergy between what you're doing in defining and honing in your, like what you would call a signature style, I guess. And, how as a creative director, I constantly look at brands and I have to be a little bit more agnostic and looking at what's the best treatment and what's the best approach for this. Yes. And and in these cases, it's like when you have a signature style that's so attractive that other brands feel like they want to be a part of it or they, they, they see that part of it aligns with their brand, it, it's awesome to be able to, to attract that kind of attention and you're the go-to person for that signature style or for that kind of treatment and look. So. That's amazing, man. Yeah, um, and I think it goes back to, you know, talking about um, the art that I love so much from Mike Mignola was very stylized. And so whenever you saw his work, you didn't have to guess. You knew it was him. And so in the back of my mind, the whole time I've been learning and studying and developing my my craft, that's always been there. Like, does this stand out among even other printmakers to be yours? And that's something that I always try to do. I always try to make sure that if I'm going to spend hours working on something, not only does it have to be the best thing I've ever made, but it has to, you know, not that it necessarily always is, but that's my goal. But it has to also stand out among anything else that's remotely similar to it. And um, I think that's what attracts um, some of these clients because they know they, I mean, number one, I feel like once you see someone else getting their work done in this style, it kind of makes you want to think, oh, I wonder what my stuff would look like like that. And number two, you know, it is exciting to see something new. You know, when you're, when you hold the license for, a, you know, a, a property that's, you know, 50, 60 years old and has been interpreted 50 million different ways, what do you do next? You know, so yeah my goal is to always offer that as my service. Like I'm going to do something that barely anybody does. And the ones that do do it, don't do it the way I do it. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, you touched on something that was interesting in passing, but you said that you worked at a comic book store when you were younger. So you were really into the scene and actually were part of it as, you know, working behind the the counter. But could you give us a little bit of insight what comic book culture was like earlier in Miami? Is okay, okay. So yeah, this was I think this was around 2005 or so. Um, that Beverly Hills song from Weezer had just come out, so whatever the year that was, because um, I was always on the radio. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, so I always tried to work the retail jobs that I was working when I was coming up at college and all that. I always wanted to work in a company that was something peripheral to what I was interested in. So I worked a lot at GameStop for a while. And um, and when I got a chance to work at a comic book store, it was hard to get a job at a comic book store because there weren't that many employees at any given comic book store. The ones that were already there didn't let it go. And I was obsessed with comics and I wanted to be there. And, and, um, and so when a position opened up, I jumped at it. You know, it wasn't the most exciting job. You know, uh, I, I worked, betw- uh, Outland Station had existed forever. 
behind uh, Sunset Place where whole around where Whole Foods is now. It was a little corner shop, and it closed down and reopened um, behind the crossings and on like 120th Street here in Miami and near the Turnpike Hole in the Wall area around there. And then they had another okay. satellite store in Sunset Place directly across from the ticket booth for the movie theater. So there's like a little store there that's like a candy store, and then it's like a video game. It's always something else. But for a little while, it was a comic yeah. book store. So I would go back and forth between those two locations. But there was a lot of downtime. Uh, and in that downtime, I would, you know, do what I wanted to do, which was read comics. And um, and the comic that I read the most, coincidentally enough, was Invincible. And uh, it was because the art really uh, called my attention. It was the artist whose name was uh, Ryan Otley at the time. Um, but yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting uh, job because even though you don't make that much money working at jobs like that, you you get to be immersed in the culture. So what I liked the most about it is watching and listening to all the people that would come in, the regulars who would come and talk about whatever it was, um, hearing that people were fans of things that I thought nobody gave a shit about. Um, stuff like that was really, really interesting to me. Um, and, I, and I just wanted to, the banter. I, I think I more than anything else, I wanted to be, again, this is pre, you know, internet communities so like being working at a comic book store now would be the equivalent of being a member of like um you know i i guess reddit forum yes a reddit forum exactly and so you know that's what i wanted so bad i wanted to just be in the mix you know and um so i would work there and i would even go in when i wasn't working just to hang and I loved it. Um, same thing with GameStop. Those were the, those the same thing as being part of the excitement, being part of the fandom. And for me, the important thing is that it's all been part of my preparation for where I am now. Because I've always been in the mix of the fans. I've always been listening to what everybody's talking about and interested in. I've always seen what the trends are. I've learned you know, that if you really want to attract the most amount of people you have to listen to people you know and um and and that's and it's been it was so great if i if i could impart anything to anybody listening to it is like it's basically a fake it till you make it scenario you know i wanted to work for the big companies i wanted to work for a big comic book company my whole life you know or a toy company or a video game company and so until then I took jobs at GameStop. I took jobs at Toys R Us, which only lasted for a day. It was a nightmare. And I took jobs at uh, at um, at the comic book shop, so that I could always be in it. I always wanted to be in it. Yeah, yeah. I totally get you there. Yeah, I, I'm obsessed. Um, I have an obsessive personality, so it's like when I love something, and I don't apologize for it either. I used to apologize for it, but I don't. It's like. Yeah, it's I, I equate it to like a dog that hasn't had a chance to eat in a day or two. And they're what are they going to do? They're going to be obsessed over food. And, and to me, this yeah. is like spiritual food, all the creativity and the camaraderie that comes with it. Yeah, no, I, I know where you're coming from with that. Um, yeah. 
what's what's really interesting is like obviously you've channeled that passion uh to being able to teach people for a while you said up to february you've you've been teaching people for several years uh years, know, about the order of make nice um so what what would be a, a typical class with with peter santa maria be like what would it be you know to actually be in your course and 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 learn the art of uh printmaking well i taught um i taught everything from kindergarten all the way to graduate level students at um in 12 years and so the the subjects was everything from you know, basic elementary art to, you know, the character design for 2D animation, 3D animation, and everything in between, including printmaking, digital art, you know, dr basic drawing, you know, all that. And at the, at the end of the day, it was always the same thing for me, which is um, I had to get the, ki the, the students, the kids, I mean, they're really all ages, but get them to understand why we're here, right? I'm an elective class always, even at the university level, you did not have to come to the university, right? So if you are here, because you want to be here, please leave if you don't. And this is what we're going to uh, learn and work on. The subject matter is always going to be open-ended, um, but the technique is not negotiable, right? And for me, it's always about, you know, I would, I would lock down super strict in the beginning, making it so that we're working on technique, technique, technique. And as kids were more proficient in technique, I would, you know, loosen the reins a little bit and let them do more creative stuff. And the, when it came to a point where they had hit um, a, a certain level of skill, then I kind of wouldn't let them talk to me too much. I would make them go figure shit out, you know? So um, it was always the mentality that the classroom is my studio where I work, because I would always work uh, in class. And I have no problem inviting people into my studio and showing them how to do things as long as they're willing to work. And if you think that you need more knowledge than what I've given you, go look it up online. If you don't want to look it up online, then get really proficient with what I just told you to do. Come back to me and I'll show you the next thing. And I would do that because the class sizes in a regular classroom, especially in public schools, are impossible to deal with. They're, I've had up to 42 kids in a small classroom you know, teaching high school. It's crazy. And so the only way to manage that was to kind of like spin plates, like get uh, a small group of kids over here working on one thing, then get these kids over here working on another thing, get everybody kind of like understanding the basics. Then I would go to the kids who are a little bit more advanced and give them something a little bit more uh, complex, maybe in terms of the con conceptual side of things, the ideas. And then it would, I would treat it like, um, like a tier system, you know, the, and when you get to the highest tier, you don't need me anymore. And in the beginning where you need me the most, you have to earn that, that, uh, that insight from me, because at the end of the day, my goal was to get them to leave me alone so I could work. 
Um, <laughs> it's yeah. true. And, and, and that was very important because they had to see how sacred the work was to me so that they could see how that this was something important. It's not something that we do in arts and crafts time making popsicle sticks. You know, art education, in my experience, is a real shit show in, in the sense that a lot of teachers don't know how to draw, paint. They don't have basic skills, you know. And mm-hmm. because there aren't that many people trying to become art teachers as much as people think there are, they have to suffer some real, you know, bad candidates. There are excellent teachers out there. And Miami, uh, Dade County has some killer ones, but we also have a shit ton of fucking wannabe losers. And so when the kids got to me, there's a good chance they had a bunch of those losers on the way up. And I had to not only teach them technique and, and um, idea development and all that, but I also had to teach them how to respect what we're doing. And um, that was the hardest part. So once I got them to respect it, once I got them to try things out, once I got them to learn that you have to earn the next bit of advice, then I got to a point where my classrooms were basically little hierarchies. So I got the first group of kids to be really successful. Then when the next group of kids needed something, I'm like, did you ask that group of kids? They already know how to do it. And then they would go to that group of kids and ask them. That would make the advanced kids even better because they had to explain what they understand, which is huge, real education. When you have, when you can teach something is because you really know it. And then yep. it would make the other kids less needy. Don't always admit that you haven't tried to figure this out for yourself yet. That's not cool. You know, it disrespects me, the person who has the information, you know? And so it was a, it was a weird system that I developed out of necessity and, and watching other great teachers around me, but it's wild, man. Every classroom is different. Every period of the day is a different organism. And, and it was always important for me that they knew that I was in the fight trying to make my career happen. So I would always post everything publicly online that I did. I would always show them whatever I was working on that was top secret that no one can see. Um, and then they would see it revealed online. So they felt extra cool like they were in on it. I would show them, eventually I would show them everything that I know. And then I would make it very important for the ones that were more advanced, even the ones that weren't as advanced, to make their own Instagram page for their art, to make their own uh, recognizable uh, handle for their uh, page, to link everything up together, not to have a separate art page, to make it all like a celebration of your life, to have your own Etsy store. And, you know, even if some of them never did it again, All of that was a behavior that I modeled to, at the very least, educate these kids that were going to go out into the community to what it means to be an artist and a professional artist and how there's all this shit to do. We don't just sit at home and paint, you know, little pictures. And the people who aren't successful are the ones who either don't respect the investment of the time to get the proper education and learn the skill to be as good as anybody else, or they're incredibly skilled, but they don't value the business side of it because it's art for art's sake. So yeah, quote unquote, I've yeah. seen that happen a lot. 
Of course. So in terms of the students that you've, you know, taught and, and in the ones that are kind of aspiring to be artists in their own right, uh, what are some of the tips that you would give them along the way, um, whether that's work ethic wise, discipline or or some other insights that you've learned along the way? Well, I'll say that it depends on who I'm teaching. Like what's the, depends on the kid every time. There's some core things that I always try to impart. And it's only stuff that I've found to be valuable for me. I don't, you know, evangelize anything that I don't also believe in. But um, so when I'm teaching little kids, for example, and I guess you could apply this to an, an older person who's very emotional. But if you're teaching little kids, the important thing is that no one piece of art that you're making is that precious. Everything is a rep. The same way if you went to the gym and you did, you know, 20 push-ups, you don't go home saying, remember that fourth push-up I did? That was the best one. No, it's just you did 20 push-ups, right? So a body of work is like 20 pieces of art or 20 push-ups, the whole thing. So the whole the little kids, I would always encourage to find what's fun and pursue that. And so whatever that means, if it means that, you know, painting is fun, awesome. If it means that printmaking is fun, that's great. I never did like the idea of uh, sampling all the different mediums after a certain point. Like pick something that you like. Yes, you might not end up being good at watercolor because you're spending all day drawing with a ballpoint pen. That's fine. What do you want? What What do you like? That thing? Okay, let's focus on that thing. Because yeah. when you find some comfort, you're more willing to expand and develop technique. And a lot of the technique that you learn applies to other mediums later on. You know, So that's the first thing I would do is kind of like break those paradigms of you have to try everything and, and you have to be good at everything because you're the art kid. You're the art kid in the group and the art kid in the group has to do everything well. You know, I had one kid, I remember, who wasn't really good at anything else, but he was great at making portraits in Minecraft, for fuck's sake. So he would get wow. on the computer and he would use all the materials in Minecraft that were like, you know, he and I sat together one day and we tried to make a value scale. So get all the materials in Minecraft that are like, and, and put them in order of light to dark. And so when he did that, he would then take a picture of himself and we figured out how to turn it into like a pixelized photo, right? And then he would okay. match the, the Minecraft materials and the, you know, if it was a white um, pixel, he would find the white material and put that block down. And at the end of it, it was this amazing like, 3d image that was standing tall in his minecraft village that he made it and yeah it's not the same as drawing from scratch and all that but the kid learned a ton about anatomy about value about following through on one project this is a sixth grader i was talking about you know and then you know when it comes mm -hmm. to more advanced kids you know or advanced in age and they're a little bit more battle hardened I really treat the education at that point as um, like, you're not entitled to this at your age in high school and beyond. You're not entitled to this. So I'm willing to give you some basic drawing lessons 
And if you respect those and work at those, I'll give you a little bit more. But if you don't, I'm done. That's okay. And I'm, I'm not personally offended by it. But let's not pretend that you want to learn more if you don't want to learn how to draw a sphere or a cone, you know, the basic shit. And so yep. the kids who do uh, pursue it, it's just don't worry about your style. That's a thing that a lot of young kids want to focus on. Some kids find it early. Some kids don't. I definitely did not find it early. Um, don't worry about your style. Try to be the best at replicating real life with whatever the material is. If you can stomach that, if you can focus on that, that is your language, right? It's like we all agree on what the English language is and that there are some people who have different dialects. There are some people who speak in heavier slang. There are people who communicate through poetry and lyrics and, you know, um, so, so the, the language can be abstracted and pulled and pushed in different ways, but we all start at the same English language. So visual art is the same thing. You need to, I mean, you should, if you want to be successful, figure out how to be as proficient in a certain medium and as being, and being able to translate things realistically. I mean, not that you have to wait until you get to max level realism to do anything, but that acquisition of that skill little by little opens you up to a lot of possibilities and a lot. And so that I always impart on them. And then if they're doing that along the way, they should experiment with things, consume as much as possible and find whatever it is, those influences that make you want to get off the couch and work. If, if, if you need that, if you find that sometimes you just don't want to work for whatever reason, you need to figure out what are the totems, what are the, you know, patron saints that you need to pray to, to, to get you energized. And while I never really need motivation to work, when I see artwork, like, a certain type of artwork or I have my office, you know, filled with old Japanese monster toys that are really goofy looking, but looking at them makes me think of what's possible. It's so far out besides from what I would normally think that everything becomes possible and it makes me just want to go work. You know what I mean? So those are the things that to me are very important. That's how I would get through when I was younger and didn't have really anybody to to lay this shit out for me because along the way every teacher i had only had one small piece of the puzzle you know and mm -hmm. it was up to me to figure out what the connective tissue was and it was up to me to figure out how am i going to assemble all my um skills and and experience to make it so that i can sustain myself doing this and it took forever it took my entire undergrad, well, let's just call it from college, right? So four years of college, two years getting, a, uh, or maybe a year and a half getting a, a master's degree, then um, like an extra 10 years or more, 15 years of, of bouncing around education, teaching full-time, doing conventions, until just recently, I got to a point where I don't have to do anything but what I want to do. And I never in a million years thought I was going to get this opportunity. And that didn't stop me for a second. 
because I knew that no matter what happened, I was going to keep going, working in between classes, working during class, pretending I was paying attention during a faculty meeting while really working on a, a, my iPad or a, a sketchbook. Whatever it took, I was going to get there and I was going to make it work. Even though I may never get there, the goal and the quest was never going to be one that I gave up on. Yeah, I mean, it's the journey is never what you expect it to be. But um, it's funny how it takes you in places that, you know, you would never really envision. And the journey um, is the journey, I think, for people who are successful, the journey is the destination. Yeah. The grind that I that I put in every day it was so much fun and still is because I don't know what's going to happen. And sometimes I think I just made something that everybody's going to lose their shit over and I post it up or I put it out and people are like, you know, mediocre on it. And sometimes I put something out that I think no one's going to give a shit about and it blows up. And so now I just learned to get out of the way of my preconceived notions, make something share it with people, make something else, share it with people. And that's already success. The fact, look at, look at how we're living right now in this, in this quarantine. The fact that I was able to spend so much time working on what I love to do and sharing it with people. I already won. I already won. You know, I already feel like I've achieved everything I've wanted to achieve going forward. It's all like, dream level icing on the cake and what it really brings that i love is a level of um validation that i've always sought after you know uh validation from the industry that i respect so much um being able to um talk with the artists that i love and creators that i love as a peer now is totally different so the the journey to get to the point where you want to get to, you never hit the goal. The goal is never satisfying. So people who are looking for a certain goal always end up underwhelmed. The the grind, the grind. And I feel like, you know, we have a, a friend in common, Falco. He, I always think about guys like him because that's a guy that you can just see it when you talk to him and you feel it, that this is a guy that the, it's all about the grind and he loves the grind. Right. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, that's, Absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, that I was just about to touch upon that, how basically we connected through essentially John Falco. You know, I had worked with him on uh, Lincoln's Beard Brewing. And then when he started Strange Beast and he kind of gave me the vision for what he wanted out of that brand uh, is when I started going down my rabbit hole of, you know, discovery and figuring out what different mood boards and, and influences to bring into it. And Funny enough, as part of me looking for kaiju inspiration, I came across your work. I came across Brian Reedy's work independently and not looking for something that was local. I was looking, you know, on the Internet all all across the world. And funny enough, it, you know, brought me to you and Brian, who are locals to, you know, a concept that was going to be local. I was like, this is insanely, you know. Uh, I don't know, coincidental that we can find the influence right here in our own backyard and it all falls in line with the vision. So it is pretty cool. And, you know, 
the whole me kind of learning about the whole i knew about godzilla growing up but i knew more of the american influence versions sure. of the you know the comic book and the movies um so when i started looking into it and watching old clips of kaiju films i was like fascinated and really learned a lot about it so um i i could totally see how you can get lost in that world and how it inspired you to do what you do um, because so it was probably know, one of my my yeah, yeah. That, I was gonna say that stuff is just like what I was talking about. It's a totem. It's not like any of those films, maybe with the exception of the original one or Shin Godzilla, are like these legendary f- films. But it's more that that they inspire wonder and creativity in people, and have done so now for you know what sixty five years or so. So it's like. The, the, yeah. This is what I was trying to say before for people who are, are searching for common or for some kind of electric motivation. You find things like that and and they give you a jolt and they become the same way to you that they would be to people who, who find um, energy and, and strength and power in in praying to saints, you know, in a in, in our in a Catholic, in a Christian religion, like people who who like, like my grandparents would have a patron saint for every issue they had. Well, to me, it's yeah. like when I want, when I want to be uh, doing something in this area or that area, I look for an influence and that's one of those things. That's what it is. Yeah. And, and going back to the whole concept of the grind and the, the process, it, it is true that I think the, the real sauce is in finding how to love the process that's when you really feel like you've won. And it's like this compounding effect of, I love the process. I love doing this. So I'm going to feel confident. I'm going to do great work and it's going to lead to more great work. So it's almost like this chain reaction of, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe in it, if you love in the process, it starts becoming what you do and and what you become. So I I find that, you know, entire part of it to be fascinating. Um, I have a couple more things before we wrap up here. Yeah. So the, one of the questions was, how, how do you personally uh, learn as a creative? You know, I know people have their preferred methods, whether it's hands-on, reading, visual, audio. Um, is there a preferred method for you to, to learn a new skill or to hone in on, on an existing skill set? I definitely have to see things. Um, that's the best way. Um, but when, I'm, when I really want to learn something, I, I get everything I can. You know, and I try to have a full 360 approach. Um, the more visuals, the better. But then I also like hearing people talk about the why of certain things. Um, I mean, that's that again, a full obsessive approach to life is how I do things. And and if I'm focused on something, I need to I need to devour it 24 seven until I'm done with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But definitely a visual learner. Yeah. And going to the medium, obviously you're working with a craft that's primarily print and, you know, analog versus how everything has become more digitized and online. And we have these devices. Like, what's your take on the art world and, you know, people who are becoming visual artists that are mainly digital versus people that are, you know, kind of keeping a mix or, or sticking to a more traditional approach like, you know, printmaking and, uh, and block printing. It's all good. It's all the same. You know, at, at some point in the past, what I'm doing now was cutting edge technology. 
you know? And so it doesn't really matter. I think people spend a little bit too much time worrying about one versus the other. In reality, like I'm thinking now, how do I get the aesthetic that I'm working on through printmaking to make sense as a, a video game, right? Mm-hmm. So how do I take this old style and loyally translate it into a very new technology. I love all of it. I want all of it. I want to be good at all of it. I want to have my hand in all of it. I would say for someone who's, you know, working in one medium and has any kind of like chip on their shoulder about it or worried like, oh, if only I knew more, you know, I'm a digital artist. If only I had some traditional skills. I mean, that's all bullshit, dude. You know what I mean? That's all bullshit. It's whatever makes you really happy and whatever makes you feel good and whatever excites you and whatever allows you to communicate an idea and, 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 and lets you join into community because of your skill. That's what it all is. You know, who cares? And, and it's like, everything that's old becomes new. And then at some point what I'm doing is going to be considered old by someone else again. And, and then, Oh wow, he does digital art. Remember that? No one does that anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, everything's going to go back and forth and back and forth. I don't ever think about it. I don't, I, I do. I am aware that less people do what I'm doing right now, but it's not nobody. There's a shit ton of printmakers out there. And some of them that are, that 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 are just next level you know and i and i admire the heck out of them but i never think about it i never think about the reason i do what i do is because i enjoy switching modalities every five seconds I, i i enjoy going sketching a little bit then carving a little bit then printing a little bit then i like changing it up and i also like that i can control uh, that I'm like, I know that when I'm done with my prints, my prints are in my living room and I can take them to a show. I don't have to set call them over to a printer. That's just me though, me. So uh, anybody who gets wrapped up in that, it's not the point. Yeah, I, no, I, feel, I totally never agree. About it. Never feel, no one should ever feel like they're missing out, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of bounce around myself between yeah. sketching the iPad and the laptop and you know, sometimes you, you get caught up in trying to figure out what's, you know, the, the proper one, but usually you kind of go with what feels right and what's the easiest way for you to get your idea onto some sort of, you know, paper or medium so that you and, can and get it proper, out of your head. Yeah. Like, and what what would proper end up even being? You know, I think before, yeah. we, before maybe in the early 2000s or something, like I was really concerned with digital stuff because I know that that was the industry standard for a commercial art. Right. But that was also before scanners got really good and then mm-hmm. and really cheap. Right. And then I started to uh, scan everything that I did. I was doing these gouache paintings forever and I would scan them and I would print them out. The prints looked just as good as the original painting. And that was a big deal for some people. And then the iPhone got really good. And now I take a picture of my print with my camera for my phone and I upload that into Photoshop or, or Illustrator and I clean it up and we vectorize it. And, and now it's a fully digital image based on a traditional it's all it's all the lines are blurred it's whatever makes you excited to wake up in the morning at the end of the day you know as morose as it sounds especially now we're all gonna die right 
You're going to live on this planet for a short time. Figure out how to be happy. And if making and creating and uh, artwork and designing things makes you happy, and it probably does if you're listening to this podcast, then that's all that really matters. Double down on it. And if you can't figure out to give yourself a little extra time in the day because your day is so busy and you have three kids and you work a long ass job and all that find 10 minutes, find 10 minutes a day to do anything, to sketch on a napkin, to watch a YouTube video about artwork, to um, look at a book about art, just 10 minutes a day where it's uninterrupted. And then if you can pull that off, then next week you do 20 minutes and you just keep incrementally figuring it out and prioritizing it. But don't let the fact that this isn't a mainstream career for so many people dissuade you from the joy that you would get out of it. Cause I only think that I've been able to be successful because I'm willing to say F you to almost every single person in my life, everybody. If it means that that's the only way I can create time for myself. And that's the only way. So figure out that balance. Don't uh, quit. Stay focused on it. All that horse shit you always hear everybody say, but value it because it makes you happy. And that's all you need to justify it. As far as, as far as what I'm uh, working on right now, uh, I can say that at this point, when you're hearing this, I had just uh, finished releasing um, some posters through uh, Toho uh, featuring Godzilla, but now I'm full um, commitment to uh, Skybound and we're busy developing the next uh, the next wave of what Attack Peter is going to be. So uh, look forward to seeing stuff uh, in the coming uh, weeks and months showcasing where we're going with this as a full brand coming up. Awesome. And obviously they can follow you at Attack Peter on Instagram and some of the other channels. Yeah, uh, are there any other spots that, that they should follow you or Skybound? Yeah, uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, uh, I'm Attack Peter or Attack Peter Art on Facebook. And then uh, Skybound ENT, so as an entertainment on uh, Instagram and Skybound on Twitter. Uh, stick to those com- uh, handles. You know, AttackPeter.com should be up and running in a real way pretty soon. Um, but yeah, anything like that, hit me up anywhere there. Down to help out if I can. Anybody, if you DM me. 